Thank you, Roselle. That's a great song, great message about reaching the lost. Hosea, chapter 7, verse 1. Hosea, towards the end of the Old Testament. Hosea, chapter 7, and verse number 1. And we've been reading there, it says, when I would have healed Israel, then the iniquity of Ephraim was discovered and the wickedness of Samaria, for they commit falsehood and the thief cometh in and the troop of robbers spoileth without and they consider not in their hearts that I remember all their wickedness. We don't get anything by on God. Amen. Now their own doings have beset them about. They are before my face. They make the king glad with their wickedness. The king was leading them in the wrong direction. And the princes with their lies. They're all adulterers as an oven heated by the baker who ceaseth from raising after he hath kneaded the dough until it be leavened. In the day of our king, the princes have made him sick with bottles of wine. He stretched out his hand with scorners. For they have made ready their heart like an oven, whilst they lie in wait. Their baker sleepeth all the night. In the morning it burneth as a flaming fire. They are all hot as an oven, and have devoured their judges. All their kings are fallen. There is none among them that calleth unto me. Now notice verse 8. It's my text verse tonight. It says, Ephraim, he hath mixed himself among the people. Ephraim is a cake not turned. And a lot of... Uh, analogy here and of course the scripture uses God uses analogy to help us understand difficult truths he gives us things that we can understand and uh, we're teaching in uh, the teenage Sunday school class we're teaching on uh, biblical analogy salt and light at the moment but God uses things we can understand to teach us spiritual truth that we would otherwise have a difficult time in understanding there's a verse here and I actually read this verse for years, and I would uh, think about it and try to figure it out. It's a little bit more of a difficult analogy. He's been talking about uh, bakers and baking and comparing uh, Ephraim in particular. And we'll talk about uh, what what part of Israel that is in just a moment. <clears throat> but he's been making that comparison. But then he makes a very interesting comparison here in verse number eight, where he says Ephraim's mixed himself among the people. But then he says this. Ephraim is a cake not turned. So tonight I want to talk to you about that uh, comparison there and what I believe that uh, the truth that that has for us. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you tonight. I pray now that you would meet with us. I pray your Holy Spirit would give us the truth we need. We do pray for Brother John tonight. We know, Lord, that he would want to be here and desires to be here. And Lord, we thank you for his testimony, his example to all of us. And Lord, I pray you'd be with him, touch him and strengthen him. Give the doctors wisdom. It's very important right now. We know what the problem is, but the best solution is the challenge, Lord. And I pray that you would uh, give the wisdom to know what to do. And Lord, I pray now that you would meet with us, encourage us with truth from your word. For we ask in your name. Amen. Ephraim was the name of Joseph's second son. It literally means 
doubly fruitful. And while all the other tribes of Israel were named after the sons of Jacob, two of the tribes, Manasseh and Ephraim, were named after these two grandsons of Joseph. There is no tribe. So Jacob had 12 sons. Uh, Joseph was one of those sons. You have the 12 tribes of Israel, but there is no tribe of Joseph because Joseph's tribe was divided into two. It was Ephraim, as we're reading about tonight, and Manasseh. And so, so you have these two sons. Now, little Bible trivia here. So if there's 12 tribes, all right, there's 12 sons, 12 tribes. One of the sons has his two grandsons, has his two sons, the two grandsons of Jacob named after tribe, as we mentioned, Ephraim and Manasseh. So how come there's not? That should technically make 13 tribes, right? Is that right? Are you with me tonight? You had 12 sons. One son, Joseph, instead of calling the tribe after him, it's called after Ephraim and Manasseh. So that means now there's an additional tribe. So how come we don't talk about the 12 tribes? Nathan? Very good. The tribe of Levi was not given an inheritance. Their inheritance was the Lord. And so there is the tribe of Levi, but, uh, but Levi didn't get an inheritance in the land like the other tribes did. And so uh, that makes up for the extra tribe uh, of Manasseh or Ephraim, whichever one you want to pick. So when you look on a map, you only find 12 tribes, but there's actually 13. Now, when the kingdom was divided, 10 tribes after Solomon's reign and his son came on the throne and his son said, I'm going to do something that uh, leaders still to this day sometimes promise us if they don't want to win elections. He said, I'm going to raise the taxes. And guess what the people did? They revolted under Rehoboam. And they said, we don't want higher taxes. And uh, we want uh, lower taxes. So they revolted after Solomon and the kingdom of Israel was split into two, a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom, 10 tribes to the north, two tribes to the south, uh, which became known as Judah. And it was the southern kingdom that contained Jerusalem in which Jerusalem sat. And that's where uh, David uh, had ruled from Jerusalem, but the Jerusalem ended up in the uh, southern kingdom, northern kingdom, the 10 tribes and the northern kingdom from that time forward became known generally speaking as the tribe of Ephraim because it was the dominant tribe of the 10. So many times when you're talking in the Bible, in the Old Testament, you're talking about Ephraim. You're not just talking about that one tribe. You're actually talking in many cases about the whole northern kingdom, 10 tribes with Ephraim as the dominant tribe. And when you hear them talking in the Bible about the tribe of Judah, you're usually talking about Judah, and I believe it's Benjamin, uh, in the southern kingdom 
uh, that made up Jerusalem. But the, the northern kingdom often referred to simply as Ephraim. The southern kingdom referred to as the tribe of Judah. So when Hosea refers to Ephraim, he is referring to the 10 tribes that make up the northern kingdom. Those 10 tribes strayed away from God almost immediately after they split. They went into captivity much sooner than the southern kingdom. We were talking about the southern kingdom this morning when Jeremiah was preaching. By then, by the time Jeremiah is preaching, the northern kingdom had gone into captivity long before that. But he was preaching to the southern kingdom, to Judah, uh, as it's referred to and the city of Jerusalem. But now, so tonight we talk about Ephraim. We're talking about the northern kingdom. And it says, Ephraim, Hosea says, he hath mixed himself among the people. He is a cake, not turn. Now, the cake he's referring to here, I think can be better understood more as a possibly a pancake than a birthday cake. Uh, Just because of the analogy, we don't think Uh, Most times when you make a birthday cake, you don't get uh, halfway done baking it and then flip it over and bake the other side. Amen. That's not even look, Brother Ramon, even I know that. Amen. Amen. All right. So you think I don't know anything. I don't know anything about cooking, but I do know that. By the way, uh, this afternoon, of course, Heidi went with her father right out to the hospital. So we were left to fend on our own for lunch and. Joanna's comment was, this is what it would be like if mom was not here. Amen. (laughs) So it was, we kind of scavenged. She had made some, you know, she made some, uh, had some meat cooking in the pot. So, you know, what do you do? You just go home, you reach in the pot, grab a piece out, throw it on a plate. Uh, Vegetables were missing. So Joanna threw a bag of broccoli in the microwave. You know, go get that when you want it. Amen. Eat a piece of uh, broccoli. But. Uh, in the course of uh, emptying the bag of broccoli onto a plate, I couldn't find a bowl, amen, to put it in. So then picking a few pieces up and eating that, I saw a remainder of a bag of M&Ms on the, uh, and so that, that was lunch, amen. So that, that, that finished it off. We didn't need anything else. A little bit of meat, some broccoli, and finish off the M&Ms. So anyway, so I know a little about cooking, but not, I, I would be in, in very bad shape. If I had to, that's right. I eat, Brother Mike can uh, test, eat a lot of cereal, amen? So, but it's talking here about a cake. So you're thinking about a pancake where you cook it on one side and then bake it on one side and then you, what, what do you call Cook or bake? What do you call that with a pancake? Do you know how to boil water? I do, but that's, I can do that. But so do you cook a pancake, bake a camp pancake? What do you do? Fry. I don't know what you do with it. Anyway, you know what you do with a camp. It's on a, it's in. So you flip it on the griddle, amen, to cook the other side. So he's saying Ephraim is like a pancake that didn't get flipped. It is not cooked correctly. It is not done. Not a cake that was to be desired. So now what can we learn from this analogy? Let me give you a couple thoughts here tonight. Number one, Israel had all of the ingredients necessary for success. And based on the ingredients, they could have been a very good cake, a very delicious cake, a very desirable cake, a cake that could have pointed all the nations of the world to the one true God. They had all the necessary ingredients. So the issue with this cake is not the ingredients. 
They had the word of God. They had the prophets of God. They had the protection of God. They had the blessings of God. They had seen and experienced the miracles of God. They had everything necessary for spiritual victory. And as such, they had an incredible advantage. The heritage that had been handed to them, the examples of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, and many others, they had those examples to follow. The leaders of Israel in that day knew their own history better than you and I know it today. Yet, yet, they failed to serve the Lord. All of the ingredients for success, but the success was never realized it never happened it reminds me unfortunately many believers today if not our nation the direction our nation is going as a whole we have within our grasp all of the ingredients for success we have the word of God we have true salvation we have an advantage they did not have in the old testament we have the indwelling of the holy spirit of God We have the local New Testament church. We have the preaching and the teaching of the truth. We have all the right ingredients, yet in all too many cases with no spiritual success. I think about there are young people growing up in a Christian home. In some cases, from the nursery on up, you've been in a Bible-preaching church. Add to that, many of you homeschooled, some in a Christian school. But regardless, you know the Bible stories, you know the biblical principles, you've in many cases memorized scripture, you know the difference between right and wrong, you've heard it all over and over and over again. Every ingredient necessary for you to live your entire life for the Lord has been handed to you. But let me ask you tonight, what are you going to do with it? Are you going to end up a cake not turned? Now let's ask another question. Why wasn't the cake turned? What happened to Ephraim? Well, let's go back to the scripture again and see if we can get some insight. Verse number eight again. Ephraim says, number one, he hath mixed himself among the people. So the first fault that the scripture finds here is he mixed himself. The ingredients for success had become diluted by sin. You know, you study the history of Israel and you quickly find that the things that got Israel into more trouble than anything else was their intermingling with the heathen nations. Boy, if there was one thing, if they could have have resolved that issue, it would have saved them a lot of trouble. And by the way, Who your friends are will ultimately determine who you are. Who you run with will be who you become like. And as soon as they yoked up with unbelievers, what did Israel do? They started worshiping their false gods. Listen, as soon as you start making your best friends, people who don't go to church, guess what? It won't be long before you're not going to church. Before you're too busy before you've got this to do and that to do. And pretty soon, your life begins to go by five years, 10 years, 20 years. And you're not in church, not because you didn't have it all handed to you, but because you got with folks who weren't going to church, had no desire to live for the Lord, saved or unsaved. 
But that's what happened to Israel. You ever been cooking pancakes and they're too diluted, too runny? You got too much water in them? I don't know. What do you put in them? Water, milk, water. You put water, you don't put milk in pancakes? No. That's why, that's why he can sell pancakes and make more money than Brother Wally can. Because water's cheap, amen? So <laughs> that's right, you always water. But they get too runny, pretty difficult to turn over a pancake that got too runny, too thin, spread out too thin. Along with that, you can add the idea of consistency. If the consistency of your batter isn't right, once you start cooking it, you're going to have trouble turning the cakes. And one of the great enemies of steadfast, consistent Christianity today is that we have been diluted by the world. In too many cases, we want our faith, but we want the world too. We want our Christian friends, but we want our unsaved friends too. We want some time serving the Lord, but we want to give some time to worldly pleasures too. And when you try to live with one foot in the world and one foot in the church, you dilute your efforts to live for the Lord. And you end up a cake not turned. You end up hurting your testimony. We were talking about that with the teens this morning about a light and how we are to be a light that shines. But if your light is going to shine, you have to have a good testimony. You have to be consistent in your walk with the Lord. You have to consistently do right. The thing of separation from the world is not an option for the believer who wants to be used by the Lord. As Galatians 5, 9 says, coming back to the same thought, says, a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. What was leaven? Leaven in the Bible is a, it depicts sin. You know, it just takes a little sin to really mess things up. You know, it takes, when it comes to making pancakes or anything else, just takes the ingredients being a little bit off or just takes getting the wrong, a little of the wrong ingredient and it destroys the entire item that you're trying to make. A little leaveneth, a little leaven, leaveneth the whole lump. And let me just caution all of us. You know what we need to do? We need to be concerned about just a little sin getting into our lives. Just a little apathy, just a little slipping, just a little of going the wrong direction. Ephraim was a cake not turned because they had allowed themselves to be diluted by sin. Secondly, Ephraim was a cake not turned because of inattention. Let's go down one more verse. Hosea chapter 7, verse number 9. Look what it says. Strangers have devoured his strength and he knoweth it not. Yea, gray hairs are here, and they're upon him, yet he knoweth not. I forget where I was recently, and someone said, oh, you're starting to turn gray. Now, you know what, Brother Ramon? That did not make my day, amen? I mean, when I look at myself... I'm not turning gray yet. No. I mean, I look straight back. It's pretty dark, you know, as long as I don't let my sideburns grow. Like every time, you know, I think my sideburns, I have to keep those trimmed because they're, they're pretty much gray, amen. But, but I don't think of myself as gray-headed. You know what? You can know it not. 
and still have a problem. Amen. And that's what he says here, that strangers devoured his strength, Ephraim's strength. He didn't even know it. Gray hairs here and there upon him, yet he knoweth not. Like Samson sleeping with his head on Delilah's lap, they didn't even realize what was happening. They were too distracted, too enamored, too busy with other things to be concerned with their relationship to God. And you know what I found in life? And young people, again, cautioning you. I mean, everything's going good. You got your own plans. You're doing your own thing. You kind of put God out of the equation and you go out into the world and you set your own path and everything's going along fine until it isn't. Until you wake up one morning and find out that all your wrong choices have finally caught up to you. And now you're like, wow, how did I get here? Well, it started maybe five years ago, 10 years ago, when you began to drift, when you began to not really pay attention to the fact you were slipping here, slipping there, bad attitude, wrong habit. Wrong, a wrong friend or two, a wrong choice or two, not keeping the Lord first in your life. And suddenly you wake up and you're in trouble. Look, God had left Ephraim and they didn't even know it. They thought everything was okay. They thought that because they were going through some of the motions that they were still just fine. They were paying lip service. They were saying what God wanted to hear if you study it out. But they weren't paying attention to their true relationship with the Lord. How many of you ladies and men who do cook and bake, how many of you have had something in the oven that you were supposed to turn over after a certain period of time or you were supposed to adjust it after a certain period of time and a child called out or for attention or you got your mind on other things. Maybe it just needed to come out of the oven and you got busy and the phone rang and you were talking. You know what? Inattention can cost you the cake. Just inattention. Not because you purposely said, you know what? I'm just going to forget about that. I'm going to ignore it. No, just because you got distracted inattention can get you into trouble. Turn over to 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse number 12. 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy 4. Now this is Paul writing to Timothy, a young man, and trying to give him some help here. And I want us to notice the phrases in this passage that can be related to giving attention. He starts in verse number 12, let no man despise or look down on your youth, but be an example of the believers. And he tells us how to be an example. We've preached this before in word, in your speech, in conversation. That's talking about your lifestyle in general. In charity, in love, which we're talking about love. In spirit, talking about your attitude. In faith, talking about your trust in the Lord. In purity, talking about your, the way you live morally, maintaining a pure life. But now look what he says, verse 13, till I come. Notice now what he says, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. 
He says, give attendance to it. Pay attention to good teaching, to reading, exhorting, doctrine. By the way, notice he doesn't say, give attention to entertainment. He doesn't say, give attention to video games. Be the very best at video games. Now, I'm not saying that video games are wrong, but I'm saying this, giving attention to video games and ignoring reading your Bible is an error, a big error, regardless of age. Look what he says, neglect not the gift that is in thee. You know what, where's neglect come from? Inattention, inattention. So he says, don't neglect the gift that is in you. And look, God has given us gifts to serve him. Don't neglect those. Don't say, well, someday maybe I'll get around to doing what I know the Lord wants me to do. No, it may be too late by then. Neglect not the gift that, was in, that, was, that is in thee, which was given thee by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the presbytery. He had been called to preach. He said, don't neglect that. Then look what he says. Meditate upon these things. You know that meditation requires attention. You got to be attentive. If you're going to, you got to focus. And I'll tell you what, in today's world, focusing is a tough thing because of all the distractions, the text messages and the emails and this little buzzer going off and that little buzzer going off and this phone call and that phone call. And pretty soon we're never meditating. That's why we need to get alone need to get in a place where we can read our bibles and really focus on the scripture then he says what well, look look next thing give thyself wholly to them what's that that's attention give your attention to it completely that thy profiting may appear to all verse 16 take heed unto thyself now he says pay attention to yourself and unto the doctrine the teachings continue in them for in doing this, thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. So the point is this. You know what Paul is telling Timothy in that, pas- uh, in that passage? He's saying, attention, 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 attention. Focus, 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 focus. We had our pastor's day up at the Capitol. And Jacob brought some of his friends, which I'm glad Jacob came and his friends came. We had a good time, didn't we? Got to see the governor. Did you shake hands with the governor? All right. But we have a lot of moving parts when we have a pastor's day. And we feed them. And we've got this has to be here at a certain time. And that has to be there. And Jacob is very good at helping me with all those things. But Jacob had his friends with him. So when Jacob came in. From Park, you know, the nice thing about having Jacob is when I go to the Capitol, I get dropped off about 10 feet from the door. And when I'm ready to leave, I walk 10 feet from the door and get in the vehicle. Amen. <laughs> that, that is a blessing because you cannot park. You have to park about a quarter mile away, I would guess, close to it. And uh, so that's a real blessing. But so Jacob went, parked the vehicle and came back. And he came in and I said to him, I said, look. I need you to focus. I'm glad your friends are here. Focus. Now he got a little upset with me. Well, dad, come on. You know, and they did a great job. They had to go get the subway sandwiches, $200 worth of subway. 
and have that the right place, the right time and have this here and that there. And, and, uh, I'll tell you what, when I'm in that situation, I tried brother Tony was there, man. He helped me out. He carried my eye. I said, look, I'm going to give you my iPad. I'm going to give you this folder. I said, I want to give this folder to the governor. This is like in the morning, you know, we're going to meet with the governor an hour and a half, two hours later. I said, brother Tony, I'm going to give you this folder because if I don't give this to somebody and say, when I walk into the governor's office, hand this to me, I will get there and I will never even think about it again. So brother Tony had a folder of, of uh, stuff I wanted to give the governor. And then he had my, I think he had my iPad for a while. And I said, I'll set this down and I will forget where I put it. And so I know me, amen. I know with me, I've got to give attention, 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 attention. But focus. Folks, sometimes we need to say, say to ourselves, hey, time to focus again. Time to quit being so distracted. Time to, time to quit going 100 different directions, trying to all at the same time. But we need to focus Give attendance to the word of God. Don't neglect the gifts. Meditate on the truth of God's word. Give yourself wholly to God. Take heed lest you become a castaway. Continue in them. That's what Paul's saying to Timothy. Focus. The victorious Christian life takes full attention. It takes diligence. It takes effort. Whether you're a teenager, a young adult, whether you're middle-aged, whether you are a senior citizen. You know, I love... Brother John and his faithful testimony. But you know what I can say is tonight because he's not here with us. He's out the hospital instead. But, but you know what Brother John will say? You know, I just want to finish well. Now think about that, young people. He's 87. I mean, he's lived his life from the time he got right with the Lord and started serving the Lord. He has lived an, an exemplary life. It's just a fact. Not a perfect, nobody's perfect, but he's lived an exemplary life. But you know what his big concern is? At the end, I want to finish. I don't want to mess up. Can I tell young people something? If Brother John's attention is on not messing up, your attention needs to be on not messing up. Because what do we think about Brother John? Brother John, what could possibly mess you up at this point? And, uh, but there are things, even as you get older, you get discouraged, you get a bad attitude, you get negative, you get, you got to keep your heart right. I think that's probably one of the biggest things when you get older is keeping your heart right, walking with the Lord, keeping your eyes on the Lord and, uh, and doing right. But my point is, if Brother John and if senior citizens have to pay attention, then how much more the rest of us. Ephraim was a cake not turned because of in, inattention. Thirdly, and finally, Ephraim was a cake not turned because of pride. Look at Hosea 7, verse number 10. The next verse, it says, And the pride of Israel testifieth to his face, and they do not return to the Lord their God, nor seek him for all this. You know what their problem was? They were too proud to admit they were wrong you know what every single one of us hates to admit and that's that we are wrong even when we're headed in exactly the wrong direction and someone says you're going in the, i think you're going in the wrong direction you say no i'm not <laughs> at least that's what us fellas say no we're not and uh 
It's the G. And by the way, you got to be careful about trusting this GPS stuff. Amen. It will take you in the wrong direction. And you'll think you're going the right direction. But uh, the pride. When the prophets came and said in so many words, you are not baking the cake properly. You're diluting it. You're not paying attention to it. It's not. And here's the, fo- here's the thing, folks. It's not going to turn out the way you think it's going to. Why is it so important to bake the cake right? So that it turns out like you want it. Young people, you want life to turn out the way you want it? Then bake it the right way. I'm not trying to tell you bake the cake the way the Lord says so that you can be miserable. I'm saying bake the cake the way the Lord tells us to bake it. Live life the way God tells us to live it so that you will not be miserable someday. I'm not trying to keep you from anything and the Sunday school teachers aren't trying to keep you from anything and your parents aren't trying to keep you from the good thing. They are trying to make it so that 10 years from now you're happy and 20 years from now you're happy and 30 years from now you're happy. I understand at 16 you don't think much about what life's going to be like when you're 46. But you know what? If you're 16 and you live a normal life, you will be 46 quicker than you realize. And the decisions you are going to make at 17 and 18 and 19 and 20 and 21 are going to affect, in almost every case, they are going to have a dramatic effect on what you are doing at 46 years old. You know, it's crazy the way life is worked out. Because about, about the time you get to where Brother Smitty is, you have really the wisdom you need to make the right choices. <laughs> you've, you've been there. You've done that. You say, nope, that's not a good one, and this is a good one. When you're young, you haven't had that experience that comes by or that wisdom that comes by experience. You don't have those years of being able to process stuff. Besides that, you're just not too smart yet. Just kidding. Of course. Right, Brother Ramon? We're just kidding. But no, honestly. So you know what you have to do? You have to follow. You know, it's, it's really, it's really the, the difference of, uh, of going somewhere you've never been before that's a distance away and having to rely on a map or your GPS to get there, and driving somewhere where you've been often. I can drive. I could walk out of here tonight, never look at a map, and drive from here 680 miles to my parents' house. I would not have to consider a map. I wouldn't have to look to see where I was or what direction. Why? Because I have done it many, many times. But you know what? If I'm going to drive the other direction out west somewhere or I'm going to go somewhere where I haven't been. I've got to have a map. I've got to have some directions. Young people, you haven't been through life. Do not think that you have it all figured out. Use the map. Use the word of God. You say, well, I don't think that's, you know what? The Bible says keep yourself pure to the marriage altar. Well, that doesn't sound like much fun. No, but that's what the map says. You'll be thankful you did at 46 years old. Follow the map. Not just your own 
thinking. The pride of Israel testifieth to his face. Ephraim refused to admit that they were going the wrong direction. And as a result, they ended up with a cake that wasn't turned. In other words, they ended up at a place where they never thought they would be. They ended up with problems that they couldn't change because of the mistakes they had made, which all could have been avoided. That's the critical thing. They had the right ingredients. It was there. But because of their own pride, their own inattention, and their own lack of being deluded or their being deluded by sin, because of all that, it did not turn out. You know, just because you have the right ingredients available to you, if I walked into my kitchen tonight, I, my assumption is that my wife has all of the right ingredients in those cabinets to make delicious food. You know why? Because she does it all the time. And I thank God for the way my wife can crank out food. And you teenagers ought to thank God for it too. Amen. A lot of Wednesday nights. We have some good food. But all the ingredients are there. But folks, you know what? If I went and tried to use those ingredients, you'd probably be like, yeah. I don't want any of that. So just because you have the right ingredients doesn't guarantee you you end up with something that's worth eating. And in much the same way, just because you have all the right ingredients of the Christian life available to you does not guarantee you will live the Christian life. You have to decide, what am I going to do? But I'll tell you this, God will hold you accountable. Because there's many in the world who weren't given the right, they haven't heard the gospel, they haven't been given the gospel, they haven't been given a, a home where uh, the Lord is, is honored, they haven't been given all of the ingredients that many of you teenagers and that all the rest of us have been given. I have a responsibility because my father got saved in his early 30s, started doing right, started getting us into a good, got us into a good church, was faithful, set the right example for us. Now that's on me to take that and run with it, just as it is on us. But just because you have access to it doesn't guarantee a good result. The question is, what are we going to do with the ingredients that have been given to us? Let's have bow heads.